0: It was advertised that the devil was going to put his tools up for sale. On the date of the sale, the tools were placed for public inspection, each being marked with its sale price. There were a treacherous lot of implements, hatred, envy, jealousy, doubt, lying, pride, and so on, laid apart from the rest of the pile was a harmless looking tool, well worn and it was priced very, very high. The name of the tool asked one of the purchasers. Oh, said the adversary, that's discouragement. Why have you priced it so high? Well, because it's more useful to me than the others. I can pry open and get inside a person's heart with that one. When I cannot get near him or her with other tools. Now once I get inside, I can make him do what I choose. It's a badly worn tool, because I use it on almost everyone since few people know it belongs to me. The devil's price for discouragement was so high, he had never sold it. It's still a major tool, and he uses it still and he still uses it on God's people today. And that is true. Are you discouraged this morning? I can't recall looking big picture when there hasn't been more. I can't recall a time when discouragement has been as prevalent in our society than today. Discouragement, both within inside and outside of the church. I can't recall another time when pastors across churches of all denominations are discouraged because of what's going on within the church and because of what's going on outside of the church, maybe you're going through a period of discouragement in your own life, but it's a tool that the enemy will use to try to get God's people down and depressed and to give up. It's not worth it anymore. Why struggle? Why bother? Those kinds of thoughts uh, was not, or is not unique to the modern- day believer. It was prevalent. In the earliest church, when those who were leading the church had to experience or experience such discouragement, one of the individuals who was discouraged in his life was the Apostle Paul. We don't often think, or I never would really think, of the Apostle Paul as someone who was discouraged in his life, but he was discouraged. He was discouraged in his mission and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to other people. He got discouraged. You well, how do you know that? Well, the passage we're going to look at this morning is going to show uh, that he was discouraged. Actually, what I'm going to do is set the context to show you that he was discouraged. The passage we're going to look at this morning is going to show what God does when his people are discouraged. So when we look at his, Paul's discouragement, we have to see where he is going and where he's going to be ministering and serving. And that is the place, a city called Corinth. What is it about the city Corinth that Paul is going to? Corinth was named from the Corinth, a type of grape that grew in abundance in the vicinity. Corinth, Corinth, Corinthians, Corinthians. That's where the name came from. The city is situated about 40 to 50 miles west of Athens, Greece. It was the capital of the province of Icaea, the Roman province of Achaia, and the third largest city in the Roman Empire in the first century .AD, next only to Rome and Alexandria in Egypt. It is said to have had a population of about 200,000 people, at least 20 times that of Athens. It was huge. For a modern days for a, an ancient city in the first century, that's enormous. Uh, at least 200,000 people. It It was close to Sioux Falls in terms of population. Corinth was known as a wealthy city due to its tariffs and commerce and as a crossroads for the ideas and traffic of the world. By the first century, Corinth had become the foremost commercial center in southern Greece. Roman law, Culture and religion were dominant in Corinth. And Latin was the city's official language. But the Greek traditions and philosophies of the area were also strongly represented. A great commercial city like Corinth inevitably had a considerable Jewish population. Corinth was evidently renowned for its vice, especially its sexual corruption, and for its many religious temples and rites. The foremost religious temple Uh, would have been the temple to Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love and pleasure. By Paul's day, Corinth had thus become a pluralistic melting pot of cultures, philosophies, lifestyles, and religions, and had the feel of an economic boomtown. It was the Las Vegas of its time. We call Las Vegas Sin City. Corinth was sin city in the first century world. That was Corinth. Paul may not have anticipated encountering much receptivity to his message in Corinth because of its prosperity and reputation for immorality. So he is very likely to be discouraged at this particular time because he's going to a very large city that was known as sin city, to use our language. How many of you, if you were to go to Las Vegas, how much success do you think you would have if you were going to Las Vegas to preach the gospel? You could be successful in doing so. But how successful do you think you would be in doing so? Are people going to Las Vegas to, on a spiritual retreat? No. Okay? That's Corinth. Corinth. So Paul may have had doubts as to how much success he was going to have as he was going to Corinth. This could have been a discouraging element in his life. But that's not the only reason why he would have been discouraged. There's another reason why he would have been discouraged. We see in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, we see this. He writes, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. He was afraid when he went to Corinth. He was afraid while he was in Corinth. You say, well, why would he be afraid? Well, remember, he has been ministering in Greece He was in Philippi, he was in Thessalonica, he was in Berea. And what happened when he was there? He was being persecuted, he was being beaten. Now he's going to a city that was bigger than all of them and he's concerned about what may happen to him there. Logical? Yes, it is. This could be a discouraging element of the Apostle Paul. But that's not it, there's more. What else about the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul is traveling alone. Read Acts 17, 14 to 16. This is what took place previously. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. He was in Berea here. And so they sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy, his traveling companions, remained in Macedonia. So, those who conducted or guided Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. So, now he, he travels alone. Now, while Paul waited for who? Silas and Timothy at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was given over to idols, and he starts witnessing to the people in Athens. He gets rejected in Athens, so now he goes from Athens to Corinth by himself. So this is the context that Paul is in. He is traveling alone, he is afraid to a city where he doesn't think he's gonna have much success. Paul is discouraged. He's discouraged. So this is a necessary, uh, these are necessary details and components to, to put this passage we're about to look into in its proper context. Now with this in mind, We have the question for our passage. How will God encourage his people to persevere, to keep going, not give up, don't quit in their mission in times of persecution, in times of struggle, in times of adversity, in times of difficulty? What is God going to do to his people in order to keep them going when they don't want to go any further in the mission? This is a message for the church today. How will God encourage His people to persevere in their mission in times of persecution? Number one, remember He's alone. Number one, God will often encourage His people to persevere in their mission in times of persecution by blessing them with new friendships that are based on common interests and shared experiences. Verses 1 to 4. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Remember, he's alone. And he found, just so happened to find, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila who was born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Why? Because Claudius, the Roman emperor, had commanded all of the Jews to depart from Rome. And he, Paul, came to Priscilla and Aquila. So because he, Aquila, was of the same trade, he, Paul, stayed with them and worked for by occupation they were both tent makers. And Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Here's the Apostle Paul. He's scared, he's alone, he's discouraged, and the first thing that God does is he sovereignly, providentially leads him to two individuals who have a common interest and shared experiences with him. They are both tent makers. Coincidence? no they happen to work at the same trade so they have something in common which could be the basis of forming a new friendship but that's not all they also have shared experiences what were the shared experiences well what happened to Priscilla and Aquila they had to leave their land because of a conflict between Jews and Christians over Jesus Christ and the emperor didn't want to have this this tumult and this issue these Jews were causing in, in Rome so he expelled them Now, what was Paul's problem? Everywhere he went preaching the gospel, there were Jews who were dispelling them from the place where he was preaching the gospel. So they had a lot in common, didn't they? This is what God is doing to encourage his child in the mission. He's going to sovereignly and providentially lead him to people who have the same interests, uh, common interests and shared experiences. So a new friendship will form and he will be encouraged in the process and not give up. Do you see it? That's what God is doing here. You see, Are you sure that, that they actually form a friendship? They did. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 16 verses 3 and 4. He writes to the church at Rome and he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. These two individuals, Priscilla and Aquila, were willing to save their lives, uh, to risk their lives for Paul. And I'm reminded of the words in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. That's exactly what Priscilla and Aquila were going to do. All of this simply to say that when God wants to encourage his child, his people to continue in their mission that God has called them to in difficult times, he will often bring another person in your life who have the same interests, and same experiences as you, so that this will be a a basis where new friendships can be formed, so you're not alone. And this is a form of encouragement for Paul. Has that ever happened in your life? Can you recall a time when you were discouraged and someone came into your life that you may have had similar experiences and shared interests? Has that ever happened to you? Maybe it hasn't. But God does work that way. That's happened in my life. I could look back and I can see this was, it wasn't a coincidence. This was God's doing. It was God did this at the right time for Paul so that Paul would keep going. Number two, God will often encourage his people to persevere in their mission in times of persecution by granting them notable, significant accomplishments. Verses five to eight. Now when Silas and Timothy had come, now they come. (laughs) You've been waiting for them, now they show up, right? When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, when Paul, when Silas and Timothy came, they came and they gave a, a gift, most likely from the church at Philippi, which meant that he didn't have to work in tents anymore. He could just simply spend all of his time preaching and devoting himself and occupying himself with the word, evangelism. So that's what happened. But when they, the Jews, opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, "Your blood be upon your own heads." I am clean, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. What he's doing here is this. I'm sharing, he's sharing the gospel to Jews in the synagogue, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah that you've been long waiting for. Well, they don't believe him. They, they, they start blas, blaspheming Jesus or they're saying something bad about him. He says, you know what? I'm gonna shake my clothes off. What was that? What did that mean when he's shaking his clothes? He's basically saying, the dust of this synagogue is I'm gonna shake it all off of me. I have nothing to do with you. I am I am innocent of any responsibility for your disbelief. Before you didn't believe, and I would have been guilty if I didn't share the good news of Jesus Christ with you. I would have been responsible. But now I've done my job and you don't believe, I am innocent. I've done my job. Now I'm going to focus on the Gentiles in the city of Corinth. And that's what he does. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justus, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing that, believed and were baptized. So what happened here? Remember the reason why God is going to one of the factors or one of the ways that God encourages His people is to allowing them, granting them um, notable accomplishments. Well, where's the notable accomplishment here? Notice that the author Luke gives us two specific individuals that he that were converted, and these two individuals are important people. Justice was a Roman citizen of high social standing. One of the clues in the passage that we know this is because he owned a house. And the house had to be big enough for people to come and listen to Paul preach there. So this was a significant convert in, in Paul's time. It was something worth noting which is what Luke is doing. Not only Justice, but a man by the name of Crispus. Crispus was the ruler or leader of a synagogue. This is a prized convert in his day. That didn't happen often. And the, re, and, and the, the result of Crispus and Justice believing, when, they, when other people heard that those two people became believers, other believed as well. It would be like Today. Uh, For example, when the Apostle Paul leads Christmas to the faith, leading a person of such stature to the faith was significant. It would be like one of us going to a, a kingdom hall who's a Jehovah's Witness and converting one of the elders in the kingdom hall. How many people do you know of who are Jehovah's Witnesses became believers in Jesus? Have you ever have you ever witnessed to a Jehovah's witness before? How was your what was your success rate? It happens, right? Now, preach to someone who is an elder, one of the leaders of the Kingdom Hall, and they come to the faith. That will sh- send shockwaves throughout the whole Kingdom Hall, everyone who worships there, when they find out one of their leaders has been converted to Christianity, what's that going to do to them? Oh my gosh. Pastor so-and-so of the Kingdom Hall is now a believer in Jesus, and everything that he taught before is not accurate. That, that is a notable convert. This is a prize in Paul's day, uh, getting these two people to believe. The fact that he was able to get these converts encourages him in a time of discouragement. When you are discouraged and you accomplish something of great significance, it is a, a means by which God encourages his people when you're discouraged. That's what happened here. These two individuals are significant. We read the passage. We just just run right through it. Wait a minute. The, The author is saying something here. God is encouraging his people by granting them notable accomplishments. And God did this for the apostle Paul. And so he was encouraged in his mission to keep going. That's what God will do. When you're discouraged, a significant accomplishment will keep you going and God will grant that in your life. He did it with Paul and when we're faithful in his mission and we get discouraged, he may allow something like that to happen to us as well to keep us going. Number three, God will often encourage his people to persevere in their mission in times of persecution by personally assuring them of his presence and protection. Verses 9 and 11, 9 through 11. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid. So he's still fearful. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, which makes me think there were, he was tempting to not say a word because the, the price or the cost he would have to pay to speak. And so God encourages him. He says, for I am with you, presence, and no one will attack you to hurt you, protection, for I have many people in this city. And what happened as a result of that encouragement? He continued there a year and six months teaching the word among them in the city of Corinth. That's how God encouraged Paul. Those three points are all subjective. These are things that God did to Paul personally. He, he blessed him with new friends. He blessed them by giving him uh, success notable accomplishments, and he blessed them by giving him a personal word of his presence and protection. And that's what God will do with us as well. One of the ways he will speak to us directly is through his word. And if we're not reading the Bible, oftentimes we get discouraged and we say, God isn't doing anything for me. Why isn't he saying anything to me? Well, are you reading his word? Because if you don't read his word, you're depriving yourself of of a source by means he will give you an encouraging word. Personally, we worship a personal God. And if he wants something to say to you, if he wants to say something to you directly, he will do so. He did for Paul and he will do so for you and for me. But these are ways that God will encourage his child directly, specifically to him. The next two points are God's uh, objective ways of encouraging people. In other words, this is God will encourage Paul not by so much doing something to him, but doing something outside of him that will impact him. Point number four, God will often encourage his people to persevere in their mission in times of persecution by moving those in positions of authority to render decisions and policies that will favor his people, verses twelve to sixteen. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, let me stop right there. Gallio was a very very powerful person. He was a Roman representative. Earlier on, when we looked at Paul, when he was in Philippi and Thessalonica, there were magistrates who were who were rendering decisions but those were local leaders this person is a a governor proconsul was a governor so he was the governor of all the roman province of ai so whatever decision he makes is most likely going to be copied by other governors throughout the roman empire so this is a significant decision in fact gallio was the brother of seneca who was in close with the Roman emperor. Seneca was a Roman a philosopher. And he was in tight with the Roman emperor. So you can see the political ties here. So Gallio was an important person. So when Gallio was pro of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. And they were saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. What's going on here? The Jews are upset that Paul is preaching about Jesus. And so they go to the Roman governor, they want the Roman governor to make a judgment so that Paul could no longer preach what he was preaching. And in the Ro- in the context of the Roman Empire, if you practice an ancient religion, the ancient religion was often protected by the Roman authorities because it was ancient. Judaism was seen as an ancient religion. Judaism existed long before the Roman Empire came to power, so when Rome came to power and they saw Judaism, they looked at Judaism as an ancient religion, and so they were allowed to practice the religion within the empire. The Jews knew that. Christianity, on the other hand, was a new religion, and because it was a new religion, the Romans would not allow new religions to form in the Roman Empire. The Jews knew that as well, so the Jews would therefore go to the Roman governor and say, hey, These these Jews who believe in Christianity are teaching a new religion contrary to Roman law. So the Roman governor would have to lay down a sentence that would forbid Christianity from actually being preached in the Roman Empire. That's what's going on here. So the Jews are trying to use this to their advantage. So they go to Gallio to say, hey, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Watch what, and when Paul was about to open his mouth to make a defense for himself, what happens? Galio said to the Jews, if this were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names of your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Paul didn't have to make a defense. The Roman governor just simply said, you know what? I look at this as simply a dispute among Jews. I don't want to get involved in that, okay? I don't want to do anything. I don't want to make any decision about that. You just go, and he drove them from them. What's the significance of this? It means that the, Paul could preach the gospel without involvement of the Roman state. In other words, God moved this political leader who had authority to render a decision and a policy that would not affect Paul from preaching the gospel in the city of Corinth. And when God wants to encourage his people in their mission in a society where the authorities could potentially clamp down on Christianity, God could move those people in positions of power to do the exact opposite and render decisions in favor of his people. That would be an encouragement to the Apostle Paul. That's what's going on here. And the same is true today policies and decisions by our rulers today God can move them to make decisions that are going to be advantageous to the Christian and its mission he did it for Paul he can do it today and finally number five God will often encourage his people to persevere in their mission in times of persecution by permitting the authorities to turn a blind eye to the mistreatment of the enemies of his people Verse 17. Then all the Greeks, all the crowds, took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. The Roman governor sees Sosthenes, who was a Jewish synagogue leader, probably a leader who was moving or directing the movement against the Apostle Paul, and he gets beaten and the Roman authority doesn't do, Gallio does do nothing. You say, well, how is that an encouragement to Paul? Well, who was the one who was giving Paul a hard time? It was the Jews. It was the Jews who were giving Paul the most difficult time in Rome, uh, in, in this Roman Empire, in, in Corinth. Now, if you're the Apostle Paul, and the Jews are giving you the most difficult time, and now they're getting mistreated and the authorities are allowing them to be mistreated, if you're Jewish, the last thing you're going to do is open up your mouth about Christianity or those who are preaching the gospel, because if you do, you're going to pay a price for it. That would be an encouragement to Paul, because now he is in Corinth, and he's free to preach the gospel, free from Roman state, and free from any persecution from the Jews. And so what happens? So Paul remained a good while in Corinth. That's how God will encourage his people to be faithful and to persevere in their mission in a society where God's people and the movement of Christianity is difficult. That's what God will do. That's how God encourages people. He did it then, and he will do so today. For years, William Wilberforce uh, pushed Britain's parliament to abolish slavery. Discouraged, he was about to give up. His elderly friend, John Wesley, heard of it and from his deathbed called for pen and paper. With trembling hand, Wesley wrote, Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might till even American slavery shall vanish away before it. Wesley died six days later, but Wilberforce fought for 45 more years and in 1833, three days before his own death, he saw slavery abolished in Britain. Even the great ones need encouragement. You may need encouragement. I need encouragement. The church needs encouragement today. And we saw how God will bring that about. We saw it in his word. God is in the business of encouraging his people. And he will do so. He will do so. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. There is truth in your word. You speak to us through your word. And yes, it, it is hard to find your truth, but your truth is there. You tell us, Lord, to, to seek you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when we do, you will reveal yourself to us. Lord, we just thank you for your revelation. Give us the strength that we need as a church, capital C, to move forward in these difficult times that lie ahead. Help us, help us to be mindful that you are at work in our lives and that we are, when we are discouraged in carrying out your mission, you are at work to keep us going, to fight the good fight, for your glory and for the good of humanity, people that you came into this world to die for so that we could have a right relationship with you. Lord Jesus, we love you. We want to honor you. And may, be, may we be encouraged with the word that you have given us today, for that's why it's been recorded in the pages of Scripture, so that we can be encouraged in times of difficulty, struggle, even in persecution. We love you and thank you for your revelation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us continue our worship this morning by singing... How Great Is Our God, the lyrics will be on the screen. The splendor of- you <laughs> God who encourages His people to keep forward in the mission, to keep forward in what God is calling you to do. He may grant you a new friend, new friendships. He may encourage you by allowing you to experience uh, notable accomplishments, to keep you going, to fight the good fight, as difficult as it may be. Or He just may simply give you a personal word of encouragement and protection to let you know that you're not alone. I'm with you no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're dealing with in life. I am with you. I love you. And don't let anyone tell you different. Don't let those thoughts pop into your head that tell you different. We can't go by what we feel. We can't go by always what we think. We go by what God has said. And his word says, I love you. And I'm here for you. And I will encourage you no matter what. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Now go in peace and be encouraged. Amen.